Okay, so we're going to look at the life of Andrew is what we're going to do. And we're going to start in John chapter 1, verse 35, right after Christ is baptized. It says, And the next day John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Our focus, Andrew here, is actually the first named disciple to follow Christ. He was the first one because he went and uh, called Peter. Well, that's quite a distinction, isn't it? To be the very first one who followed Christ. And what did he do immediately in verse 41 after he found Christ? He went and told someone else, didn't he? He went and told his brother. So he was really the first evangelist or the first missionary. Well, there's quite a distinction, isn't it? How would you like to be the first one to be a disciple of Christ, the first missionary, the first um, evangelist? That's quite a title. But what did the gospel record about him? Well, the first verse about Andrew, 1 John 1.40, calls him Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Well, how'd you like that distinction? He's not Andrew, the first disciple, or Andrew, the first evangelist. He's identified as Peter's brother, as if that's a bigger qualification. That's big stuff. He's more like a shadow, isn't he? He's a shadow behind him. And this sets the stage for what we're going to uncover about Andrew. Although he was part of that inner four disciples, Andrew's ordinarily left in the background most of the time. Yet he's the one quietly leading others to Christ. He's the least contentious and the most thoughtful of the four, interestingly enough, from what we read in Scripture. Andrew and Peter were fishermen, originally from Bethsaida, and they must have taken time off to follow John the Baptist. According to verse 35, we just read, they were already John's disciples, and they were out in the wilderness with him beyond the Jordan, according to verse 28. So they were out there, they take some time off. Hey, something's going on with this guy, John the Baptist, and so they're following him. John, the Baptist, correctly points him to Christ, and they follow him. In fact, they spend the evening with him. Wow, what an opportunity that would be to spend an evening with Christ at the very, very beginning of his ministry. He's just starting it. Think of that when Steve, you know, was back in Texas and just starting becoming a pastor, getting to spend a night with him. Or Charles Spurgeon or somebody like that. Or John MacArthur, you know, back when he first went to Grace Community in 1969 before that thing exploded. A great opportunity to have spent some time with that individual. We don't know the exact timing, but it could have been a very short time later. The Gospel of Matthew and Mark record Jesus' calling of the four. Now, here's the account in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. That's where we're going to look next. Matthew 4, 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
<clears throat> Luke records the same incident in chapter 5, wherein Jesus uh, actually had them cast their nets on the other side of the boat. You remember that story? And they hauled in a huge catch. But Luke sees Andrew so much in the background in the story that he accounts in Luke that he didn't even mention Andrew as being involved. He does mention James and John, though, So, but it was probably the same account there. As a side note, I thought it's interesting how Peter and Andrew were actually fishing, casting their nets, where James and John were mending their nets. And I'm sure that has some implication, some significance. We're going to see that with Andrew. And what is he doing? Well, he becomes a true fisher of men, doesn't he? That's what we, we see that he does. We next see Andrew simply as a name on a list of the disciples. Matthew 10, verse 2, he's listed second. First Peter, and then Andrew. Peter and Andrew, so he's listed in that order. They're in the same order in Luke's account in chapter 6, verse 14, which, by the way, is the only time that Luke even mentions him. It's just, here's his name. He's just a part of it. Even though he's one of the inner four, maybe, and he's a, a, a part of everything that's been going on since the beginning, Luke only mentioned him once. In Mark 3.16, he's listed fourth after Peter, James, and John. So there's a couple passages. They're just listing out, here's the disciples. <clears throat> Andrew, though, was known for working with individual people. He individually ran and got his brother Peter when he met Christ, didn't he? So he was an individual. Hey, Peter, you got to see what's going on here. He was also the one who, in about the same area of Galilee, when Christ was preaching to the 5,000 and they had listened to him all day, he sought out food for the people. We're going to read that in John chapter 6, verse 2 is where that starts. So we're going to see him here. John 6. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew himself what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There's a boy who, here who has five barley loaves and two fishes, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. All the other disciples were at a loss of what to do to feed the people. But it was Andrew who provided what he thought could be a solution. He didn't know how, but he says, Here's a solution. I've got some food. Here's what I found. He, he saw that because he individually was looking at people. For our next glimpse of Andrew, we look at John chapter 12, verse 20. John 12, 20. And this is right after raising Lazarus from the dead and the triumphal entry. Those have both happened. We're going to again see Andrew working in a one-on-one -on -one relationship. John 12, verse 20. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Hmm, kind of interesting. A little weird thing going on there. We don't know why Philip didn't go to Jesus directly. But when Andrew heard these things, that the Greeks wanted to speak with Jesus, he made it happen. 
He said, I'm going to get this done. I'm behind the scenes and I know how to do this, so I'm going to do this. He went. He knew when and how to communicate, and that's what he was known for. Mark 13.3, the week before Christ's crucifixion, we next see Andrew as part of the four asking Jesus a very astute question about the temple being torn down. Mark 13.3, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James, John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us when these things will be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Well, being one of the more serious ones of the group, I could see him being the one that would ask this question. I mean, Peter would ask some other question, probably. It was a little off topic. Um, I could see him asking this. It led Christ into a discussion about the tribulation. If Jesus was going to leave them, they would be wise to ask questions about the future and related signs. So that was him asking, hey, when are are we going to know these things? He was able to just say, let's find this stuff out. But the very last time we hear about Andrew in the Bible is in Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Acts 1, 12. This is when the disciples are gathered in the upper room, right after the ascension of Christ. It says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and, Barth- and Thomas, Bartholomew and, James, and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of jo- James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with all the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Again, he's in just a list of faithful disciples behind his brother Peter and his good friends Jan- John and James. That's all we know about James, from, from all we know about Andrew from Scripture. So, what else do we know about him about it from history? You know, what, what does history tell us about him? Because there are some accounts from that, and some extra-biblical traditional sources. They're, they're mixed, and they're not really clear on what happened to Andrew. Eusebius had him preaching in Scythia, which is above the Black Sea in Russia. Jerome had him in Achaia, that's in Lower Greece. Another source had him in Asia Minor. There's a story told that he founded a church in Constantinople. At the nearby city of Petraea, the proconsul Aegeus is said to have become so enraged by Andrew's preaching, he commanded him to sacrifice to the heathen gods, but upon his refusal, he ordered him to be scourged and crucified. We don't know the truth behind that, but that's one of the stories that we've, we've heard. Another account, good to have you guys here. Another account states that he led his wife led the wife of a provincial Roman governor to Christ, and that infuriated her husband. She was really upset. You know, He was upset that uh, she went and got saved. He demanded that his wife recant, and she did not. So the governor had Andrew crucified. To make his death linger longer, he was fastened to the cross, not with nails, but cords, having hung two days, praising God and exhorting the spectators to embrace or adhere to the faith he said to have expired on November 30th story that we have. It's also said that he refused to be hung on a cross like Christ because he was unworthy, so he asked to be hung on the shape of one in an X. And to this day, there, there's that, that talk of that being Peter's cross. That Saint, I'm sorry, St. Andrew's cross is what that's called because of him wanting to be crucified that way. So what do we learn from all this? What, what can we apply when we look at the scriptures, small as it is, about Andrew? Well, first, he was very clearly overshadowed by his brother, wasn't he? I mean, there's always Peter and Andrew. So I'm sure some of you know that feeling. 
You've probably had that in your life of being overshadowed maybe by a sibling. If you know my daughter Katie um, that used to be here, she undoubtedly was always referred to as James's little sister. Now, don't you like that? I'm so-and-so's little sister. Um, I, I know that I am rather loud, outspoken, and bold in the way that I approach things, but if you get me around my five sisters, I'm the youngest with five sisters, I clam up, I'm quiet, I'm shy, and they just take over the room. It's like, I'll just go in here and just do my own little thing. It's weird. It's this weird little pecking order, isn't it, that happens with our siblings. In situations like this, it's natural to feel resentment, strong sibling rivalry, or even estrangement, But we see no evidence of that in Andrew at all. He never once is seen as trying to put Peter in his place. And he's the one who introduced Peter to Christ in the first place, wasn't he? So he really wanted to see his growth, wanted to see him mature. We already knew that Peter had a tendency to dominate the scene wherever he went. He knew that he would be relegated to secondary status. So he knew that Peter would take charge of the rest of the disciples and he would always be in the background. Steady, loyal, calm the entire time. I think that was Andrew. I think that's who he was. That says a lot about Andrew's character, that he was willing to put up with that and not make a stink about it. Your older brother always being the the one that's out there. He had the right heart for ministry. And he knew his place in the background. He didn't need to be the center of attention. He didn't even seem to resent those who took the spotlight. He knew that God had called him to do what he was to do, and he went forward with it, and he encouraged others to do likewise, as one of the disciples, and even afterwards. So that's the first thing we learn about him. Even though he was overshadowed by his brother, um, he remained steady. Secondly, all the disciples, of all the disciples, he was the most thoughtful in his speech. He was the most thoughtful in his speech. Whenever he spoke, which was not too often, he always said the right thing. So that's good. I mean, I'd rather say a few words and actually say the right ones than say a whole bunch and it's the wrong words. I really admire a man like that. It's easy to speak a lots, of, lots of words, isn't it? It's easy to say a lot. A good verse to memorize is Proverbs ten nineteen. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. You know, that's a, a great verse for us. And I think that was Andrew. He was cautious. Scripture never attaches any dishonor to Andrew's action when it mentions his, him by name. There's no dishonor ever mentioned towards him. Wouldn't it be great to have that said about you by Christ or Scripture? Mm-hmm. Kathy never did anything to dishonor herself. That, that's great. Sure, there's times when he followed Peter's lead or acted, acted in concert with the other disciples when they were making the same mistakes. He was a sinner. In Scripture, when he rises above the others or he acts or speaks as an individual, Scripture commends him for what he does. He was an effective leader even though he never took the spotlight. That's kind of a nice leader from the background. How, how do you lead from that back seat? Andrew Andrew and his brother Peter had completely different leadership styles, didn't they? But Andrew would have been a better example of a typical church leader who ministers in a local church rather than a brash, outspoken, charge-ahead kind of guy. Most of them, most of the leaders in church, they need to be quiet. They need to be uh, thoughtful leaders because most pastors and church leaders are going to be relegated to some obscure pastoring in some quiet, out-of-the-way town. I mean, these guys go to Shepherds, to the Master's Seminary, and they think, oh, I'm going to be like John MacArthur and lead all these other tons and tons of people. No, most have been up in a small church, 60, 70 people. That's about the average-sized church in the U.S., small churches, and that's often where they're led. Well, if these are Andrew type of guys, they're going to be faithful. They're going to stick at it, and they're okay with that. 
These are guys who need role models, and Andrew would have given them great encouragement. That's why we can look to Andrew for that. Just a quiet guy behind the scenes that, that can do that. Thirdly, he saw the value in individual people. He saw the value in individual people. His encounters were not with the masses of people, but individual relationships. They're one-on-one. Most of his encounters are all one-on-one. It was Peter that was preaching to the thousands. But it was each time we see Andrew, he's bringing someone to Christ. First, it was his brother, Peter. Then the boy with the loaves and the fishes. And then the Greeks who sought out Philip. He says, oh, I'll go get him for you. So all these individual small relationships is what he was good at. Andrew had an uncanny way to assess the situation, understand the need, and deal with it. And that's kind of a nice asset, isn't it? Just to, oh, I recognize what's needed. Let me go take care of that. And it usually involved taking the issues to Christ. I can only bet that his prayer life was amazingly well. You know, because, you know what? I need, what would Christ do? I need to take this to Christ. So after Christ was gone, he probably did the same thing. Well, here at Grace Bible, we see the power of each individual invitation that you make to others to invite them to Christ and invite them to church. Those personal invitations many of you have made of bringing others to Christ to church, that is key to them getting saved and to them understanding the gospel. Most people come to Christ because of their influence of an individual in their life, not from hearing a song on the radio or hearing a sermon. Yeah, those things happen, but coming and hearing that, they have to be invited. It's the individual relationship that draws them to want to have the peace, the joy, the ability to handle difficult situations. They recognize that, you know what, I'm a sinner. I cannot do this on my own. And that's an individual relationship. The story is related about a man very few of you have ever heard, Edward Kimball. His name is just a footnote in the annals of church history. But he's a Sunday school teacher who led Dwight L. Moody to Christ. He went one afternoon to the Boston shoe store where the 19-year-old Moody worked, cornered him in the stockroom, and introduced him to Christ. Kimball by no means was a bold evangelist. Well, he went to the shoe store frightened, trembling, and unsure if he had the courage to confront this young man with the gospel. At the time, Moody was crude and illiterate, but the thought of speaking to him about Christ had Kimball trembling in his boots. Moody had attended his Sunday school class, and he knew that he didn't have anything, any knowledge of what was contained in scriptures. Here's an account of Kimball's encounter. This is his Sunday school teacher who goes and pursues a 19-year-old who was in his Sunday school class. I decided to speak to Moody about Christ and about his soul. I started down to Holton Shoe Store. When I was nearly there, I began to wonder whether I ought to just then, uh, ought to go just then during business hours. And I thought maybe my by mission, my I, my mission might embarrass the boy. That when I went away, the other clerks might ask who I was, and when they learned, might taunt Moody if I asked uh, and asked if I was trying to make a good boy out of him. While I was pondering over it all, I passed the store without noticing it. Then I found I had gone by the door. I determined to make a dash for it and have it over all at once. That's what he did. Kimball found Moody, working in the stockroom, wrapping and shelving shoes. And he said with, he spoke with limping words, barely could get the words out. He only remembered that he said something about Christ and his love, and that was all. He admitted it was weak, but appealed to Moody right then and there, and he gave his heart to Christ. 
in the shoe store. Moody went on to be used by the Lord as one of the greatest preachers in the U.S. and England during most of the second half of the 19th century. Tens of thousands testified that they came to Christ because of his ministry, which included many famous evangelist preachers and theologians. He founded Moody Bible Institute, had a huge impact on the Western world, all because a nobody named Edward Kimball introduced him to Christ. I mean, who knows who it is that we're talking to sometimes. That's an example of our hero, Andrew. Too many Christians think they aren't responsible to evangelize because they can't speak in front of large groups of people. They, uh, they don't have leadership gifts. Well, follow Andrew's example. Understand the value of befriending just one person and bringing them to Christ, I think is what we can see in this. Okay, fourthly, he saw the value of insignificant gifts. Andrew did. He saw the value of insignificant gifts. Some people see the big picture more clearly because they appreciate the value of the small things that add into the whole, that allows them to see the whole thing going on. Well, the John 6 passage we read earlier, Jesus had done some preaching. He went to the mount, up to a mountain to try to be alone with his disciples, and it was almost time for Passover, so he preached to them. It was approaching the hour of the day to eat. They were near, nowhere near any fast food joints. There was nothing available, uh, no place for the people to get food, and Jesus wanted to feed them to use bread as an object lesson. So how is he going to do that? He already knows what, what's going on here. Philip does a quick accounting of the funds. Oh, wait a minute. You know, we only got enough pay for food for just a few of the people here, and that would probably start a riot if we only gave out a certain amount of food. And besides, you don't just whip up food to, for ten to 20,000 people in a short time. Don, is that true? You can't just do that on the spot? You can, but it takes a miracle. Yeah. Crackers and cheese. Crackers and cheese. There you go. The Matthew account says that one of the disciples commented, this is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away. But Jesus wanted to teach them something. So he said, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Yeah, right. Uh Uh-huh. What do we do with that, Jesus? How are we going to do that? We'll just give them something to eat. Jesus is being unreasonable here. We can't do that. But at that moment, Andrew spoke up. There's a lad here who has five loaves and two fishes. Can you see the other disciples? Yeah, right. Come on, Andrew. You don't know anything. Go, go away. Go find somebody. That's, that's not going to work. It's enough to small, feed the small lad, and that's it. But Andrew had the wisdom to bring the lad anyways. He identified the one food source available, and he, and he let Jesus know about it. No gift is insignificant in Jesus' hand, I think is what we can see from that. It's an amazing lesson is actually the story of Andrew as well, isn't it? It's the story of Andrew. One small, insignificant younger brother of Peter couldn't possibly make a big impact, could he? That so little could be used to accomplish so much was a testimony to the power of Christ. No gift or person is insignificant in his hands. We know that. Andrew was good at finding people one-on-one, wasn't he? So he's a one-on-one guy working with them. Fifthly, or lastly, he saw the value of inconspicuous service. The value of inconspicuous service. Peter, James, and John were always out there up front leading the charge, being the big dogs, but not Andrew. I mean, we barely even could remember who it was in this class, right? They're always leading the charge. He didn't seem to be caught up in getting the credit for something or arguing about who would be greater in the kingdom. He worked quietly behind the scenes willing to take second place or a supporting role. There's a place for that. He didn't mind being hidden as long as the work got done. 
Oh, how we need people in this service for Christ. We really do. We have many of them here at Grace Bible Church. And a lot of them you guys don't even know about. We have a faithful crew who literally for years has cleaned our bathrooms. I mean, just every Saturday there's a crew that rotates around and they, they clean the bathrooms. It's wonderful to do that. We have those who get up early and set up coffee. Uh, those of, I get my text every single Sunday morning. The gate just got unlocked and, and somebody's unlocking the church. That's wonderful, those people who do that. And they stay late, maybe to throw away dirty diapers. I mean, imagine if we didn't have somebody throwing away dirty diapers in the hallway, what this place would be like. No, we need these people. We have those who vacuum, make sure that chairs are in neat rows. We have those who write letters to the sick and to visitors. Those who can't make it here, just a phone call to them. We have those who fill up the baptistry ahead of time to make sure it's ready when we have a baptism. It takes somebody to do that. Make sure the water's hot. Fold the bulletins. Keep the windows clean. Touch up paint. Yesterday, there was a, a work crew here. Thankfully, a few people showed up. We touched up paint here and there and just made the place look a little bit nicer for Steadfast coming up. That's important. Others who pay our bills or record our giving confidentially to make sure our finances are in order. We have members transcribing Steve's sermons into Spanish or making copies of the sermon to give out, to put it online. Graphic work being done for posters, bulletins, our website. Many of our Sunday school teachers, they give up being in the sermon just to teach our children during that hour. Praise God we have these people. We have prayer warriors who wake up in the middle of the night and pray for the leaders. And that is so powerful. I I can attest to that. They pray for the children of our church by name. The list goes on and on and on. These are the inconspicuous people who have jobs at the church and are invaluable. Like Andrew, they're content to do their work for Christ silently, without recognition, without any prominence. Would you take a moment this morning to apply this lesson by finding someone you know who has served the church quietly behind the scenes and thank them for their faithfulness? Just grab somebody between the services. Hey, I I know you do this. I just want to say thank you. It really means a lot that you do that. I I know it, it takes some of your time on Saturdays or whatever. Thank you for praying for our church. That's really important for those kind of things. They don't work for the recognition, but encouragement does go a long way. Just to, you know what, praise God, there's people that, that want to do that, and they're, you're all doing your own parts. I mean, you're here, you do that. We're thankful for the Andrews in this church um, who simply want to hear from Christ someday. Well done. Let me close with verses from 1 Corinthians 1, verse 27 to 29. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God shows what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God shows what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring nothing, nothing things that are, so that no human might boast in the presence of God. We have nothing to boast about. But we can take these simple little things that we do, and there's a purpose to it. Andrew shows us that in an effective ministry, it's often the little things that count. Individual people, insignificant gifts, in conspicuous service, God truly does delight in these things. Well, may each of you be faithful what he has given you to do in the walk in your life. May you be, you might be overshadowed um, already by others. May you be thoughtful in your speech. May you be an individual that values, puts value in people. May you see the value of insignificant gifts. And may you see the value of inconspicuous service. I hope that's an encouragement, a little deviation for where you guys normally are. But uh, hopefully a word for that. With that, you know, Grant, I was listening to this guy one time, you know, just kind of cruising the YouTube, found um, Actors God, and that's what I was looking for. And I listened to this guy, and he said, Aboot. And I went, oh, he's probably Canadian. <laughs> so I asked Darren, I said, hey, Darren, you know this guy? He goes, yeah. 
he's Erwin um, Lutzer. He's a pastor at uh, Moody Bible when he was there. So he was influenced by Erwin's um, ministry for, I think, 30 years. And there's guys that led up to that. And then myself as well, I've just eaten up his whole series on the mysteries of God. And so that's why I'm so excited about discipleship, because you can impress people at a distance, but you can only back them up close. Mm. And I love that aspect of the rippling effect. We have no idea where the little Andrews end up. Yeah. Behind the scenes. I think that's the neat thing about eternity. It's eternity. And we can follow all these threads. Okay, let's go down this way for 5,000 years and understand what God did here in my life in this way. And why did that person show up right at that time? Or, you know, somebody you passed in the grocery store or something. You, whatever it is, those little things that are going to be the people who influenced us. To understand them and be thankful for what God did. Great, great idea there. And the whole mentoring process. I mean, that's, that's an important thing. Taking these little things, and how do you help somebody really learn these things if they haven't been doing it in their lives, if they haven't been um, willing to just do little things of service? You know, you know what? I'll, I'll let the church take care of itself. I'm going to show up on Sundays. It's easy in a big church, and as we've gotten bigger and bigger to, to have that happen. I remember when we first started um, with, right before Steve, we gathered the people we had, and nobody really was doing hardly anything. We were just a very simple church. You remember that, uh, undoubtedly. Um, it was just, everything was just really, really minimal, what we were doing. And so we found where, who all was involved, and we made a list of, here's some ministries, which one would you like to be involved in? And every single person, I think we had like 70 people, 75 people, every single person had a job. As small as they were, as insignificant, I mean, it was planting flowers in the front or, you know, making sure little things were done. But it took everybody to do that. As you get bigger, we kind of forget that. You know, oh, you know what, that'll be taken care of. That'll be taken care of. And it isn't. Those little things are important. And thankfully, what we have here is just amazing now. So how do we encourage? What are some other ways that we can encourage those who, I'm going to say, on the fringe or maybe aren't as, uh, uh, as involved? How can we encourage them? What are some practical ways, maybe from what we just heard? Or can you think of some applicational truths to this? Yeah. I send cards. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Great. I, send, I like to I think I've gotten one before. Yes, they're very encouraging. Yeah. Oh, you yes. Yes. Yeah. Just any cards. I mean, nowadays with modern technology, oh, I'll text them. Boom, that's done. You know what a card means? I mean, somebody's had to stop, had to buy a card, had to write this out, had to find my address, had to have a stamp. Do they even still make those things? And put that on there. It's not an email. Emails are nice sometimes or a text. I know sometimes when I'm sitting at a doctor's office and I don't have anything to do, I'm waiting around, I just look through my phone book and I find people that I haven't maybe communicated with. I just sent them a text. Hey, how you doing? And Thank I also think gay for her supply of cards. Yes, okay. Advertisement. Yes. yes. Advertisement for gay. Those are well, well priced. It's good for the church and it's a ministry of her. She loves doing just some beautiful cards in the, in the bookstore if you need some. A great way to do that. So those are little, I mean, that's a little ministry we don't think about. It. So thank gay. She's one you can thank. What are some other ways? Yeah, Robin. Our family is here just as a reminder because of the simple invitation from your daughter, Emily. Mm. You know, she invited um, my son, J.D., and his soon-to-be wife to Steadfast Conference because she and her husband were the videographers for their wedding. Oh, that's right. just offer Mm an invitation. Okay. That's simple. And who knows where it'll lead. Yeah. And you got a whole family. And it keeps growing. (laughs) Those are good things. What are some other practical practical things you can think of just little ways that you can encourage or maybe you've seen somebody doing it you, you can talk about a friend 
any other ways? I think sometimes too, just when they say Yes. Yeah, don't say I'll pray for you at some point. Just take the put your hand on their shoulder and pray for them right then. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Good things. I know there's tons more. I think just the individual contact, I really get encouraged by what you said because sometimes we kind of think, how do we reach a big crowd? And then you're just like, no, there's one person that the Lord will put on your heart sometimes and just mm-hmm. kind of pursuing that one person and just mm-hmm. making that individual contact. Yeah. And when the Lord puts them on your heart during the week, pray for them. Mm-hmm. But then later on, tell them, hey, for some reason the Lord put me on your heart at 10 o'clock at night on Tuesday and I just been praying for you and that, that means something wow I was going through a tough time right then thank you I, that's important I mean, we have, we're a body we're supposed to be doing this kind of stuff yeah good mm-hmm. how about noticing the little yeah Peter. you what having over for dinner yes now there's Peter that's a great great way to do it what better way to get have you been over to his house for dinner okay. She's, she said she'll take it their kids. Or their dog. Or this, their dog. If you need a, a dog sitter. <laughs> but asking somebody over to your house for dinner, I mean, we're not afraid of each other. We, we've got to know each other, and we all have to eat. <laughs> I think the Lord did that intentionally. Three times a day, we have to stop to eat for a purpose, and it's a way to stop. And Okay, Lord, you're my provider. I need you, and I need other people. And having somebody over and just say, hey, can you come over for dinner? Love to have you. Love to get to know you a little bit better. Or even our care ministry. Uh, how many of you are on the care ministry hotline for the uh, the newsletters and and all the rest of stuff? That whenever there's a need, you get it all the time. What a great way! And the problem is, it happens so fast. People, you know, put up. Oh, we need dinner for so and so. Boom! Everybody signs up. It's like, oh, I can't do it. So some of you just need to back off. Quit <laughs> providing so much meals. Let the others. Do it. See, that's an admonition there. Let others do it. It's, it's wonderful just to, to provide somebody a meal and just come over and say, hi, hey, you've gone through a surgery or you've just had a baby. Um, or even just after church on Sunday. It's, I think everybody, most people will not say no. They all have to eat. If they've got some dietary restrictions, you'll figure that out. Just a chance to be with others. Because what does it say? I, thought, I stopped and thought about you for a, a period of time, and it was important enough to do that. I think of the Adamsons, and they're going to need some care, and I'm, I'm hoping this class will be a, a key for that. I don't know exactly what it's going to look like for taking care of Kathy over time, but she's going to need some care, and, and John needs some care. I'll, I'll just kind of let you guys know he wants to do it all, and I think often the caregiver will then wear themselves out. It's hard on them. Those in the medical field could probably tell us the stats behind that is probably just terrible how people just burn themselves out. Yeah. Another way you can minister to someone you know that's had an accident or is at home and has a caregiver, if you're going to Costco or you're going somewhere, text them. See uh-huh. if they need something picked up. Yeah. And then you just drop it off. Good, Julie. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I've done that. Yeah, we used to have a neighbor across the street from us when we were first married. And as an older lady, she was in her 80s, a yes. bitter, bitter woman. And uh, she was a tough one. She was a pack rat, and she didn't want anybody doing anything for her in her life. Well, uh, Kathy would stop and, and get her loaf of bread. Hey, I was at the grocery store. I figured you might need some bread because she didn't even get out. And, well, how come you didn't bring me meat? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
But we just kept at it and kept at it with her. And said, how, how can we help? And we even took her to a concert at Grace Community. And uh, just, uh, we washed her up. First time she took a bath in years. 10 years, maybe a long time. She saved rainwater from her roof because she wouldn't pay for her water bill because she didn't want to pay the tax on it. Somebody, a neighbor went and paid her water bill to get her water started. And she got really upset at them. Don't you dare do that. I don't want to pay that tax. I paid it in 1942 when I bought this house and I'm not going to pay it again. Okay, lady. Um, but she ended up in the hospital. Very strange situation. But she did and was there in the hospital. Um, I took my mom with me to go see her. My mom had a real good ministry caring for elderly people. And this lady turned her heart to Christ. And like a week before she died. We don't know how true it was, but she was adamant against the gospel for the longest time. If you gave her a Bible, she gave it back to us. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't know where those little acts will lead to. And, and that should be all of our lives. But a meal with somebody or you're going to Costco and you know that they have some issues that uh, they can't get to the store. Just ask. These are the things that we do as a family, aren't they? And we have our favorite people we'll do it for, but we should probably be thinking about the others. GraceNet. How many of you used GraceNet? Where you get on there and you look at things? Okay. Admonition to the, those of you who don't. GraceNet, you all have an account there on our online, and you can go online and put in your... If you don't even have a login, just ask for a login. They'll give you one. And you can then look up other people. Look up other people in the class here. And, and if you want to pray for them, you want to send an email to them, you can get their information online. A great way to be able to communicate with people. But also, you can check other stuff on there, and it's just a great way to be able... You're in there because you get signed up if you're in a small group or if you're in a women's study. That's how those mass emails go out to everybody. It's because you're in GraceNet. Surprise. We know where you live. <laughs> so it's a great way for us to help each other um, use that. And there is a brochure out in the foyer on the wall behind the welcome desk on our care ministry. If you're not a part of that, you'd like to be a part of that, it's a real easy way to sign up and say, yeah, put me on the list. And you'll get a prayer list. You can get all kinds of things that they, they send out. We want to be there as a church body to act as a body. That's maybe a good portion of today's lesson. That's what Andrew did. From behind the scenes, a quiet guy, which most of us are. I'm maybe a little more outspoken. I'm not afraid to get up in front of people and put my foot in my mouth. Um, But a lot of the quiet ones, that's a great place for you to understand God has those people and he uses them in special ways in scripture. And Andrew was one of those. We don't know much about him, but I think we see that in scripture here, what he did. Great. All right. Peter, do you want to get up and preach the rest? Great. All right. Good. All right. Let's, uh, Don, would you close us in prayer?